Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. We're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Travis Makes Friends podcast. My name is Eric. I'm Travis Chappell's producer. And on today's mashup episode, we are talking about how you can move forward when others are holding you back. We're talking all about rejection, how to deal with people who are trying to protect you, but in essence, really holding you back from the things that you really feel like you should be doing. And on this episode, there are three incredible rock star guests from past episodes that Travis has created. And first up is Josh Peck. You may know him from several prominent acting roles on Nickelodeon and working for little companies like Disney, or maybe just know him from his viral social media presence. Either way, he has faced his fair share of challenges, and he knows a thing or two about forging ahead despite the doubters. Next up is Tommy Laren, a voice that never backs down. She's a political commentator who knows how to ignite conversations and challenge the status quo. And last but not least is the unstoppable force of nature that is Grant Cardone. He is a true powerhouse in the business world, a real estate mogul, and best-selling author. And together, these three are going to take you on a journey of resilience, personal growth, and teaching you how to embrace your full potential, even when others don't seem to want you to. So buckle up and let's get ready for this mashup episode of Travis Makes Friends. I, w- I want to talk to you real quick about rejection because uh, a lot of people listen to the show are, are kind of in, in business just because my other show is tend to be more, more business listeners and kind of personal development, self-development people. Um, I did <clears throat> about five years of door-to-door sales. And if there's any vocation that I would think would potentially actually be more rejection than what I did. It would have to be acting, um, and so I, I would I would assume that um, getting to the stage of your career that you're at, you've had to learn to some extent how to handle how to deal with rejection. And I'm curious if you have any kind of advice for anybody out there listening. I would say like door to door sales, um, acting, maybe stand up comedy, uh, real estate to a certain degree because you don't like you literally have to you'll never know what the number is right like you'll never know if like yeah you you have to go up for 10 different deals and number eight's going to be the one but you've got to walk through the first seven yeah um so you just don't know but it's uh i would just say the, the only way i was able to get over rejection was when i went back to class and i started really looking at where was i where did I have blind spots? Where was I less than? Because I think I was giving myself this little emotional safety net, this caveat, where I would say, well, if I didn't get the part, it's because I didn't give it all of me. I mm. didn't give it 100%. And had I given it 100%, well, then probably I would have gotten it. Because that's scary, right? It's scary, this idea to give it your all, and then be confronted with this idea of like, yes, you did give it every ounce of you, and it still wasn't enough. But then it's like, but what is life? You know, so it wasn't until I really learned how to do the work, felt confident that I was doing everything in my power and that I was just doing my end of the job that I was able to accept like, eh, this one wasn't mine. And still 
I've got an audition that's still that I auditioned for three weeks ago. That's like banging around in my head where I'm like, when do I haven't heard back? <laughs> yeah. You, I, I love, I've heard you say, you know, when you take responsibility for your life, it's got a lot of great benefits, but also you don't have anybody else to blame. And I think that's like such a scary thing because when something, you know, when something works, you can be like, yeah, I just got cast in a Christopher Nolan movie like that. <laughs> you know, like I killed it. But then, like you said, when you have something where, you know, you don't get a call back for three weeks, you know, you're going, well, I can't blame anybody. I can't blame them. I can't blame anybody else. Like that responsibility there is a really scary, but rewarding thing at the same time. You make such a great point. And, and I'm thinking now about how, you know, I end the book where I talk about how I had to let go of acting and accept my life as it was that I was overpaid and I had a wife and a kid and I was so lucky and I was making a living doing social media. It was only in like being able to truly let it go and have that ego death that I could start acting for me for the reasons that I fell in love with it when I was eight. And the book kind of ends where I say, and then of course, once I got to that, that place, I booked this Disney plus show Turner and Hooch. And it's like the biggest thing I've gotten in years. And in this uh, I, w- I want to talk to you real quick about rejection because uh, a lot of people listen to the show are are kind of in in business just because my other show is tend to be more more business listeners and kind of personal development self development people. Um, I did <clears throat> about five years of door to door sales, and if there's any vocation that I would think would potentially actually be more rejection than what I did, it would have to be acting. Um, and so I, I would I would assume that. Um, getting to the stage of your career that you're at, you've had to learn to some extent how to handle, how to deal with rejection. And I'm curious if you have any kind of advice for anybody out there listening. I would say like door-to-door sales, um, acting, maybe stand-up comedy, uh, real estate to a certain degree, because you don't like, you literally have to, you'll never know what the number is, right? Like you'll never know if like, yeah, you, you have to, go up for 10 different deals and number eight's going to be the one, but you've got to walk through the first seven. Yeah. Um, So you just don't know, but it's, uh, I would just say the only way I was able to get over rejection was when I went back to class and I started really looking at where was I, where did I have blind spots? Where was I less than? Cause I think I was giving myself this little emotional safety net, this caveat where I would say, well, if I didn't get the part, it's because I didn't give it all of me. I mm. didn't give it 100%. And had I given it 100%, well, then probably I would have gotten it. Because that's scary, right? It's scary, this idea to give it your all, and then be confronted with this idea of like, yes, you did give it every ounce of you, and it still wasn't enough. So that's where the first like viral video you ever had was when you were at One America? Yes. Okay. Yes. After the Chattanooga terrorist attacks. I okay. kind of went after uh, President Obama at the time. So how was that? Because That most, was crazy to yeah, me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So most people, uh, you know, when a video goes viral, it's, it's very much a, like, it's a positive thing for everybody. Like, everybody's happy about it. Like, a, a few friends of mine have put out viral stuff, right? <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, like, high five. You put out something viral. Cool. And uh, when you put out something viral it comes with a package of a big like <laughs> bottle of hate, right? So talk to me about like yeah. the first time where you started like reading through some stuff and you're like, oh my goodness, these people are like actually hating me. How did that, how did that whole situation unfold? 
I think I had a little bit of a dose of it just all the way through, just being a conservative. I think that was a time, and when those came out, that was during, that was leading up to the 2016 election. This was yeah. 2015, so things were heating up. A things little were unrest, intense. You yeah. Might so say. I mean, yeah. I was used to that environment. So, um, and those when I went after Obama, um, I actually had a lot of support for that. It was very military focused, and so there wasn't as much hate in in that commentary as, of course, now I get when I talk about other things. But going viral is something I never, I never planned to do it. I didn't put it out there. Someone else took a segment of my show that I did every single night, five days a week, and they recorded it and put it out there. So I was stunned when it went viral because that wasn't something I was trying to do. Um, but I knew when I did it that it was powerful. Um, and I knew that it would get a reaction. I just didn't think it was going to be a viral reaction. But then after that, it was some people then when they get the viral bug, then everything they want to go viral in everything that they do. So I get that a lot from people. They say, oh, are you saying these things to purposely be controversial and polarizing and make people mad so you can get attention and go viral? The answer is no. Uh, If I were to be someone like that and I were to do that for the purpose of going viral, I would have had 15 minutes of fame and then I would have been done. Mm. Because when you start taking the passion out of it, you start taking the work out of it and you start taking the authenticity out of it, that's when you're going to fail every single time. My intent in anything I do is not to go viral. It's just to be from the heart, to be passionate. I talk about things I'm passionate about. I don't need to create them. I don't need to engineer it. This is how I am. This is what I believe. I believe very strongly in a, in a set of things. And when I talk about those things, they're probably going to go viral. And it's not because I'm saying things that are necessarily just because they're controversial. Yes, that's part of it. But it's also because you can feel the passion that I'm speaking with. Yeah. And it's very easy to be a shock jock, and there's a lot of people that have tried to do it since. They want to go viral. Yeah. They want to imitate this career that I've built. But you, you see it's kind of hollow because they're doing it to make money. They're doing it to be famous. They're doing it to go viral. Yeah. They're not doing it because they feel it deep within their bones. Yeah. And, you, and that's the thing. People can love me or hate me as long as they know that I'm being authentic. That is the most important thing. And people are still going to say that it's not. Sure. I know who I am. People are going to call me names. I know who I am. It really doesn't bother me anymore. I, but it had to at first. It really, quite honestly, didn't. Really? No. I've always had a very strong sense of self. Mm. So if I'm saying something and people, especially because if people are criticizing me for my intelligence, sometimes it hurts a little bit. Yeah. When fellow conservatives criticize my intelligence, that's what really actually bugs me yeah. because I know that I'm not unintelligent. Yeah. Um, but when people say, oh, you're this, or they call me names, or they say disgusting, horrible things about me, I have to respect you to respect what you say about me. Mm. If you're calling me a nasty name, if you're calling me outside of my name, if you're labeling me something that I'm not, it doesn't affect me because I know who I am. Yeah. And I think if more people had that confidence in themselves, then they wouldn't worry about validation from everybody else all the time. Young people now, especially with social media, they are so worried about their likes their comments, their retweets, their views, that is where they get the validation. And if someone says just one thing mean about them, they could say a hundred nice things, but that one person that says that one mean thing can just completely devastate them. And that's not freedom to me. Freedom to me is being able to look at it, take the good with the bad, not let my head swell when people say great things, and not let me be completely shattered when people say horrible things. There's a balance there that I've been able to find through doing this for several years and having... Several moments of controversy along the way. Props to you. Yeah, (laughs) props to you for keeping a level head. 
people are always a product of their environment, yeah. right? So you're in an environment that has a lot of people that are trying to contain you, right? Yeah. And that, that's one thing that I find very similar with a lot of the people that I've talked to, especially on the show, is that um, they were in this environment where they're trying to excel yeah. and become the best, um, but everybody around them, even the people that they love, it's not yeah. always the the drug dealers and the people well, that more often them. than not, it's 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 the the, the, right. the real enemy, right? It's be, yeah. it's not done out of like a spiteful it's mentality either, man. right? It's just like they legitimately. Think I would doing rather the, best the malicious. I would rather the enemy. I would rather know that somebody is consciously right. trying to stop because me. then you know it's at least wrong. A hundred percent. I know what they're, what they're up to. Exactly. It's it's my sister right. that wants to cuddle me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Under mm-hmm. the disguise of I just want to take care of you. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like, like, like hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. That that is the most damaging because right. it's it's the wife you sleep with. Mm-hmm. It's uh your dad that says, dude, I just don't want you to get hurt. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like it's the people in your life that care for you that don't even know that they're actually damaging yeah, you holding you from reaching yeah because what, yeah. because they have some other agenda that's why i say never take advice from a quitter hmm. that that's not a damaging comment it's right. like look if if your dad quit on money if he was going along in his life and he's like i'm gonna go get it i'm gonna go get it right and then one day he's like it's not worth it somebody you know he had a big loss he's right. like i'm not gonna go right. for it anymore that's the last guy you'd want to get advice from you know if somebody went bankrupt because they expanded too fast uh, they're going to tell you when you go to expand, they're going to be like, money. dude, yeah. don't spend money right. and don't bigger's not better. <laughs> right. Don't never take advice from a quitter. He quit on expansion because he got spanked <laughs> right. rather than recalibrating and figure out, creating a new network. Mm-hmm. I need a new network of people that are winning. And just because you were winning a decade ago, doesn't mean you should be in my network right. today because a guy was expanding 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. 
doesn't mean like like when you study mentors, you got to study where they're at in the cycle, right? So um, I, I don't know what a good example is, but you know, I want advice from Jack Welch when he was building right. GE, not not when he mm. pulled away from it. So mm. I want to I want to I want to know from Howard Schultz when he's blowing up Starbucks, not when he's leaving the company. He's going to go into politics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't care right. about his politics. I care about his expansion. Right, right. So this is something that I find really fascinating is that most people will always look for the excuse to stay average. So what I mean by that is like they're, they're okay with uh, comparison yeah. if it's to people that are less fortunate. Right? Yeah. So they'll yeah, use it yeah. as like, a, well, just be grateful that you're not, totally. you know, in Zimbabwe, like yeah, living yeah, in a grass exactly. hut. But then this, the second that you bring up, well, like, you know, we'll look at Grant Cardone. He's, you know, he's, you know, buying multifamily real estate in millions of dollars. Hundreds and, of millions. Yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars. And uh, he, he's worth all this money and stuff. But, yeah. and then, but then when you say that, it's like, well, you know, you should just be grateful for where you are. So yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, they, use, they use comparison yeah. only when it's in their advantage. Does yeah, that make yeah. sense? Yeah, totally. So, look, this is the entire... You just encapsulated the entire definition of the middle class. Hmm. The middle class in America and other middle classes that are being developed in India and, and uh, you know, other third world countries where there's not a middle class, they are based on comparisons. The entire right. middle class is a complete phenomenon. It is a mythological creation by po- politicians mm-hmm. where comparison is the definition. Right. I am in the middle because I'm not in poverty. Mm. And because I'm not super rich. Right. Even rich to a degree is just a, uh, um, um, a fancy middle yeah. class. Right. Like, like if you ask my seven-year-old, or uh, Sabrina, hey, what do you think? What is the middle class? Because she asked me one day. She's like, you talk about the middle class all, all the time. What, 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 what is it, Bob? I said, what do you think it is? She's like, I think it's rich people that are really poor. <laughs> and that's the person who makes 70 grand a year right doesn't have any money left over mm-hmm. making their car payments making their house payments stuck can't leave can't move but you're better off because you said it perfect you are better off than uh somebody in zimbabwe right, right. so just be grateful who's never had a bicycle so, so don't so be so grateful don't be pushing, satisfied yeah. mm, right okay don't push right you have more than most you have clothes on your back you have transportation, you have air condition, you have food in your refrigerator. And every time you go to Whole Foods, by the way, you're like, ouch, yeah. that's not freedom. Right. Folks. So, so you're, Travis, you're doing a service to people to tell them the truth. So, so, what is, so what is the balance then? Because I, I feel like being grateful is a really good practice. Yeah. But there's also, uh, you should also have a, some sort of a healthy dissatisfaction for where you are to keep pushing forward. So what's, yeah. what's yeah. the balance between now, the two? I, I, think, I think people need to be great. And full of great. <laughs> you need to be great. You know, somebody said the other day, man, you're really blessed. I said, no, dude, I'm proving it. Hmm. I'm proving that I'm blessed. I'm not, I'm not interested. We, we, God doesn't need to be recognized as blessing me. God has zero. Like, he's not putting a mark on the board. I need to prove that I'm blessed. He already did his work. I need to do my work now. You guys need to go out and prove that you're blessed. Yeah. You need to get grateful, full of greatness. And do I need to be grateful? Dude, I'm grateful for everything. Mm-hmm. But I'm not spending time on grateful. I'm, I'm spending time on how do I, how do I fulfill my potential? Mm-hmm. That is the great payback. Like if there's a God, a higher power, uh, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. him, her, it. Right. Dude, the great payback is to prove it, is to fulfill the potential. Not to be like, well, I got to work today and I didn't get in a wreck. Yeah. All right, good, man. But that can't be the rest of my day. Or I came to work today and I didn't get drunk. Or I didn't punch anybody in the face today. Mm. 
Like I didn't punch anybody in the face. I didn't beat my wife up. You know, I didn't, I didn't uh, make my kids feel bad. I could be grateful for that. So I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Right. So the rager, that's what the rager does. I, I, I was, I didn't get, I didn't, I didn't beat anybody's face. Yeah. In it. Okay, dude, look like, where are we going to move the conversation yeah. to? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm interested in. I am very it's like, is that really the fulfillment of your potential to not hit people? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. That's, right. Like, I, I'll give you an example. Like, like I just, uh, I bought a plane three years ago, sold the plane, bought another plane. When I got on the new plane, okay, I was literally on this plane three minutes. It's a brand new plane. Gulfstream 550. It's like top of the line, everything. I was on that plane. Maybe three minutes. Johnny, you weren't on that flight with us, were you? No. Okay. Sherry, my CEO, was on the flight. Elena was on the flight. I was on, Ryan Secco was on the pilot. And mm-hmm. I'm on three minutes. And I, and I said, I'm going to buy the next level. <laughs> so was I grateful? Am I ungrateful? Dude, I love the plane I'm on. Okay. Yeah. I'm extremely grateful for it. But, but I know. Now, the question now in this conversation becomes, when is enough enough? And if you're asking that question, I guarantee you, you don't have enough and you're not working hard enough and you're not, you're not going for your potential. Rather, you're measuring against other people. Yeah. So you're trying to make sense of what you said. You're trying to make sense of why you don't have what you have and you'll do that by making me wrong. Right. And, and you, almost and changing into a morality issue. Totally, not, totally. Yeah, just like just saying, oh, getting rich is selfish and it's to- and totally. all this other stuff. Now yeah. it's going to become, you see, nobody's ever covered this, this what you're doing right now. Yeah. Now the guy's going to drop into a morality issue. Why do you need so much? Right. You know, you could have taken that money for that plane and you could have, you could have fed hungry people, mm-hmm. you right. know? Well, dude, I'm, I'm feeding hungry people. I'm the, by the way, when we're having this conversation, I'm feeding more hungry people than the guy asking the question. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's always the interesting. Yeah, thing. yeah. Oh, yeah. there it is. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> For those for those listening, we'll we'll link up uh, we'll link up to the video in the show notes. You come check it out. We just put uh, put a little model of of Grant's plane he just bought up on the desk here. So, no, um, this is the actual plane though that I bought. <laughs> yeah, this the, is the, it. the actual model, right? I yeah. shrink myself <laughs> to get in the plane. <laughs> the future, yeah. yeah, the future shrinker. <laughs> okay, cool. So we covered a lot of stuff so far. Um, this is the Build Your Network podcast where we talk yeah. a lot about networking, building yeah, relationships, yeah. and we've kind of touched on it already, but. The question I always ask to get the conversation going in the right direction is, do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why? Yeah, I I believe that I've had this conversation with a lot of people. I believe who you know is more important than what you know. Why is that? Well, you you, you know, look, your connections, man, the connections can accelerate everything. So uh, we did a we did a growth conference. Uh, We did my annual growth conference. We did one that was nine thousand people there, 23 speakers. Mm hmm. You know, I didn't know this years ago. I was out there competing. I write about this, and if you're not first, you're last. The competition thing is a dead art. You don't, you don't want to compete with people. You want to collaborate with people. Hmm. And I didn't know this because the way I grew up, because my dad died probably, I didn't have any connections. And because I didn't have connections, and I didn't have a network, and I wasn't in the club, and I wasn't in the country club, and I wasn't at the golf course, and I didn't, have, didn't know the bankers, I probably... Because I didn't have those things and I didn't know how to do it, I probably made networking like wrong hmm. as opposed to using it to collaborate. Right. Because I can tell you a whole bunch of people that are less talented than me that, that went faster than me. That, and, so that, that's exactly my whole point yeah. of this entire show. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to this all the time, you definitely know this is, where, this is where I stand on it. But what you just said, it basically encapsulates my entire purpose for this because I feel like the what is obviously important. You have to be competent and you have to have a skill set and you have to work on that craft. Yeah, yeah. But 
I, I just find that if you if you focus more of your time on the who, the speed will always be greater. Dude. Like you'll skip rungs on the ladder, you'll shorten the runway, however you want to phrase it, you'll yeah. get so much better, so much faster. Yeah. And if you combine the two, yeah. you're unstoppable. Yeah. If you are committed to greatness mm-hmm. and you collaborate with other people and, and lift them up, mm-hmm. like make other people great. Yeah. You know, my sister said to me when we were doing this conference, it was four days. She's like, my God, you shared you, this, the, the amount of time you give other people on the stage is unbelievable. Right. We did a four day event, mm-hmm. 9000 plus people. That was incredible. And, you know, I give speakers. That, why, why, Grant? Why you could be up there the whole time. I said, mm-hmm. no, I'm sharing. I'm sharing that platform. Right. Right. Now, what does that do for me? First of all, it edifies me. For sure. It, it's like 100 percent. I, I don't need to be on the stage. Yeah. They're on the stage on my behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it gives me a network, a built-in network. So we spent $4 million with the Mandalay Bay. Yeah. So to, to, it was incredible. To, to give me yeah. instant. Okay. I got, I got speakers that came from around the world to deliver content. Um, I didn't pay them. <laughs> I spent, I wrote a check to Mandalay Bay for 4 million bucks. I gave them an audience. Right. They can't, most people cannot put 9,000 people in front of themselves. Oh. So I did that for a whole bunch of people and gave them a great qualified audience. So, you want to do whatever you have to do to do what you're saying, which is build this network, like to reach up. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I realized one day I was watching CNBC one morning. And I saw all the players on the planet, the top mm-hmm. 50 or 100 players or whatever that number is. They were all um, showing up in Davos in Switzerland. Okay. Buffett, mm-hmm. Gates, all the players, mm-hmm. the, the Google boys. I'm like, dude, this Look, what are you doing, Grant? What are you doing, man? You're so stupid, dude. You need to go to Davos. You need to show up where the other players are. You need to go there and eat dinner. Eat dinner with the kings and the queens. Now, I know some people, this goes back to this last thing you said about the, the, the morality thing. Yeah. I don't need all that. Okay. When you say you don't need all that, you're being selfish. You need to eat with kings and queens and power players. Mm-hmm. Because it's going to accelerate everything for your family. Right. Like if you're one of those people that want, you're a Greenpeace guy. The best thing you could do is go eat dinner with Bill Gates, right? Rather than being in your little freaking Zodiac boat, yeah. just, just, just doing the Zodiac boat thing, attacking mm. the big ship. You mm. need money. You need funding. You need support. Exactly. You need people behind you. You can't do anything by yourself. Yeah. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to TravisChapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.